0: Hi, I'm Matthew Kind. Every Monday, look for a fresh new episode where I'll take you behind the scenes and interview the insiders that are shaping the rapidly evolving cannabis industry. Learn more at cannainsider.com. That's C-A-N-N-A insider.com. Now here's your program. Today, we're going to learn what type of businesses cannabis venture investors are willing to fund and why. I'm pleased to welcome Ross O'Brien from Bonaventure Equity to the show. Ross, welcome to Can Insider.
1: Hey, Matt, great to be here. Thank you very much for having me.
0: Give us a sense of geography. Where are you in the world today?
1: Huh. Well, interestingly enough, you've caught me on a uh, road trip on my motorcycle four days in, about 900 miles. So I'm in uh, Wilmington, North Carolina. but. Um, I currently make my home in uh, West Palm Beach, Florida.
0: Okay. And what is Bonaventure Equity on a high level?
1: So Bonaventure Equity, uh, I founded the company about seven years ago, really focusing on uh, working with family offices and high net worth investors that I had been involved with um, prior to starting the company myself. And we started out really as a you know funnel sponsor, putting together interesting transactions in a broad range of sectors, mostly focused on healthcare. And over the last few years, that uh, really uh, transitioned to an exclusive focus on cannabis. So um, a couple of years ago, we decided to start investing exclusively in cannabis businesses. We put our first venture fund together. We currently have eight portfolio companies in that first fund, and we are on to our second fund right now, um, currently raising uh, $50 million for uh, some follow-ons and the and the next set of companies that we're going to uh, invest in.
0: Great, Ross. Can you share a bit about your background and journey and how you got into the cannabis space and started Bonaventure?
1: Sure. So, um, you know, cannabis had been something i had been intrigued with and and uh, quite interested in for some time as an investment thesis and also something you know that was a part of my personal life. And um, you know, for years had been looking at. You know what is happening on the regulatory side, such that you know it seemed to me that this was going to be just a massive business opportunity it's a, at some point, and I think that you know everybody would agree that's what's now happening. Uh, the challenge was I worked at a family office; I was uh, responsible for all their self-directed venture capital, private equity, and real estate investing. And the challenge was is every time we tried to look at the space, there were a couple of hurdles. One being it was so early on from a legalization standpoint that, that there just wasn't you know, enough line of sight to what the markets will be looking like and how they'll be regulated. And we were struggling with, you know, seeing complementary entrepreneurs in the cannabis space. spaces probably five years ago that were this, you know, sort of the same level of sophistication that we'd find in other sectors that we we're investing, like I said, like healthcare, for example. Um, so we kept sort of taking a pass and then, uh, a couple of years ago, about two, the end of, uh, 2018, the beginning of 2019, uh, we were really seeing some interesting opportunities and put together uh, a group of investors with myself. And and we set about really trying to understand a strategy for cannabis that was best suited to us and how we invest. So we are early stage investors, meaning that we invest in a series seed or series A typically, um, typically investing one to three million at any first initial round. And you know, we looked at close to maybe 400 companies, certainly over three to 400 companies before we wrote our first check. And what we decided to do was a go slow to go fast strategy. One of the things, Matt, that really concerned us was this, you know, green rush mentality. Um, you know, having invested in and been involved in entrepreneurship for my entire career um, as an entrepreneur, as an investor, as an advisor, and having a, a whole string of failures along the way, Um, you know, this is a very difficult thing to do in any segment, let alone one that's as nascent as cannabis. So what that means, Matt, is we put together a platform before we started deploying capital. We were hosting a series of events that uh, have been postponed after the pandemic uh, happened in 2020, Uh, but those were really great. We were hosting them in San Diego, New York, Dallas, Miami area, uh, and really bringing together um, you know, the best and brightest in the space and, and convening, um, you know, a lot of thought leadership. Uh, I wrote a book, um, a book, the book's called cannabis capital. Uh, it's the first book on venture capital for cannabis. And that actually took a very interesting, um, turn as we were developing that, that I can speak to, if you'd like about how it's actually informed our investment thesis. Um, but it's really a, a playbook for entrepreneurs, um, to help them be more successful in having the conversations with investors like us, and really helping them understand, you know, the the dynamics of raising capital and the fundamentals, et cetera. And then we have an operational piece to our platform as well, where our companies can leverage our back office and finance team uh, to scale up with them. So it wasn't just putting together capital; it was really understanding, you know, the the landscape and where we wanted to invest to to achieve the venture returns that we're seeking.
0: Yeah. So now that you kind of have a sketch of the landscape, you've made, I think you said eight investments. What? what how do you go about it? You described a little bit of a, like your organizational procedure and process, but if you were to just to give us another, just a quick you know, sketch of how you do that, how do you actually say, these are the ones that are going to get a yes, and these are the ones that are going to get a no, and here's why?
1: Sure. So, uh, I'll take it in sort of two steps. First is what is our investment thesis, and what do we look for. And Then, secondarily, then you know how do we focus in on a specific business and the and the founders. So, if I'll take it in those two two chunks. And and so the first being the investment thesis is we invest, as I said, early stage, meaning that you know we are looking for companies that will generate venture returns. And and one of the things that you know certainly noticed in this space is there's a lot of, you know, um, new investors putting together funds and that that haven't had, you know, historical investment in venture, you know, prior to the space. And they tend to be sort of all over the map. So we really focused in and said, no, this is this is venture. And what I mean by that is, you know, we need to get a, you know, 10x cash on cash return in any investment that we make, meaning that, if we put a million dollars in a company. We have to have a line of sight to getting ten through, out through some sort of an exit. We are not particularly enthusiastic about the public market, so we're really looking for companies that will be ideal acquisition targets. And so, what that means is 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 many of the investment strategies that we see in cannabis don't fit that profile. For example, uh, cultivation, right? So, you know, there's you you need way more than a million to two million to you know, put together a cultivation um, business to start with. And secondly, you know, it's agriculture, it's a commodity. And you can see, as we're seeing the the market now, there's a lot of price compression and that will continue to go that, that direction. And a lot of these companies, when they reach a certain size and certain scale, they have a lot of the upside value baked into the valuation today. And this is what we see in a lot of the public markets that the companies are being valued on the future um, potential of the business today, as opposed to valuing what the company is worth today and then benefiting from that arbitrage for that, that upside. Does, does that make sense, Matt? It's Cause we're looking for, you know, where that value curve is going to occur from an early stage to a you know later stage as opposed to pricing. in now that later stage state.
0: Yeah, that makes total sense. You mentioned a little bit earlier, you know, working with family offices and so forth mm-hmm. in the past, what is the posture towards cannabis investing right now with family offices?
1: So it's the family offices have largely been filling the gap where you don't have a lot of incumbents venture being able to participate yet. Um, a lot of the existing venture funds uh, are prohibited from investing in the space because it's still federally illegal, and their agreements with their limited partners you know prohibit them from certain sectors meaning that that there's a gap in accessible capital um, being cannabis first and sector second in terms of our you know strategy allows us to uh, you know be in a position to fill that gap but the family offices have been incredibly active there is still a lot of you know stigma in certain groups and certain categories but they have a ton of capital or very sophisticated investors um, and have largely stepped in to where, in a more uh, established market, you would have a lot more venture players or funds that that are, you know, driving certain elements of the sector.
0: Okay. And you mentioned you had made eight investments. Can you talk about those a little bit? Your portfolio, who's sure. in them, and uh, any highlights you want to make.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, and and maybe what I'll do is go back to the second part of the question on what we look for in entrepreneurs, because okay. I think that'll paint the brush for, you know, some of the companies that, that, that uh, a couple of the companies that we're working with for some follow-ons now. So, you know, really what we're looking for are, you know, dynamic founders. We'd like to have some, you know, veteran entrepreneurial experience. Um, where, whereby, you know, we tend to have the most success with entrepreneurs who have, gone through a couple of business cycles prior to the business that they're working on um, really look for, um, you know, great culture builders, innovators. We don't really see disruption as being one of the, which is a more tradip- traditional venture um, characteristic because we think that legalization is the t- the disruption that's happening. So you know, for us, we we really want to see collaborative founders that are going to, um, you know, be able to to build something for the long term. And so, within our portfolio right now, there are, you know, a few um, really interesting highlights. Um, we uh, we are we are focusing in, really focusing in now uh, in the second fund and the overlap of healthcare and cannabis. So we think that's the. Single greatest opportunity from an investment and early stage investment standpoint. We think a lot of the other, you know, spaces, whether it's brands or retail or dispensaries and things, are, are are getting pretty mature very quickly. And so for us, this is the most exciting and I think new frontier, which is because of legalization that healthcare is going to be entirely transformed. So, with that, we have a company in our portfolio that was the first to map the genome of the cannabis plant with two PhD female founders so that are just fantastic. We have uh, a company that's doing a handheld spectrometer uh, potency testing device um, with a really experienced uh, engineering background founder. We have a company that's developing um, the first synthetic CBD compound with a female founder who has uh, built and sold biotech companies before. So those are some some highlights and the things that we get really excited about.
0: Okay. You mentioned when you looked at a founding team that you like to see some success in the past. Is there any other kind of things you'd look for or say, hey, this uh, makes me more interested because the founder has these attributes?
1: Yeah, I think one of the, it's an interesting question, because I think one of the um, characteristics that tend to um, be highlighted the most in our process. So we take a, we do a lot of work with the founders um, in understanding, you know, personality profiles and personality traits and, you know, qualitative, quantitative, you know, cognitive abilities, but we, we do the same with ourselves. So we look for compatibility between us and and the founders because it is typically a long-term relationship. And one of those key examples during the early stages of of getting to, you know, establish, getting to know somebody in their team is really looking for a, you know, collaborative personality or collaborative approach to challenges. So, you know, it's not necessarily that I'm looking for founders that have all the answers. Or even the right answers. I'm looking more for what thinking went into those answers, and if the answers need to be, uh, you know, challenged and or otherwise, you know, changed directionally. Uh, is there enough rapport between us and the founder that we can, you know, have the hard conversations and and make adjustments and be open to that kind of, of feedback? And so that usually shows up if somebody is is very defensive. Um, Or reluctant to hear constructive criticism even early on in the presentations. That'll be a a red flag for us.
0: Mm, Okay. And, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of listeners that are either now raising capital or they're planning on starting a business and they're going to raise capital. How do you think they should kind of orient their thinking so they put their best foot forward and have success in that endeavor?
1: Yeah. So this was actually the impetus for writing. Uh, the book and so uh, cannabis capital started as really a textbook to help entrepreneurs you know have a little more sophistication around their fundraising how to you know have conversations around valuation how to have you know to understand what due diligence is and and how to develop term sheets and corporate governance and you know just all these sort of blocking and tackling elements that you know, um, you see with a lot more experience in, in sort of other sectors. And so that was one of the things that we really wanted to focus on because there was such a lack of fidelity in the conversation I found between founders and and investors in the space. And one of the big challenges, Matt, is that, I, I, you know, I, I don't, I, I think we're doing ourselves a disservice to, to, to talk about cannabis as if it's an industry. So everybody talks about the cannabis industry. And as we were doing the research for the book it it really became apparent to us and this was one of the things that that we established in the book is that cannabis is not an industry it's an economy it's a global macro economy it's here to stay it's not a trend and as with any macro economy it has subsectors and industries within that that are being developed so this broad stroke you know cannabis industry I don't think is is robust enough to really give people a, a, the comprehension of, of what legalization really means. We have a, a challenge uh, that um, if, if anybody can identify a sector that otherwise hasn't been impacted by cannabis, please let me know. And and uh, I, it's my belief, and so far I'm batting a thousand, that every industry and every, every incumbent industry and every company boardroom cannabis has reached at this point. And so what that means is that it's this ubiquitous landscape. Now, when we get into the cannabis economy and the sectors that we focus on, it really occurred that there was a lot of tension between investors and, and founders out there. And there tended to be the sort of legacy advocacy-based, you know, cannabis insiders that, you know, had been in the space for some time saying, oh, the finance people don't understand us or the business people don't understand us. And then on the other side, when I was interviewing investors for the book and talking to other people in the space, you'd get the inverse of that, right? Where people would say, oh, the, you know, these cannabis people don't understand business. And so I was trying to find a way to take, uh, you know, take some tension out of that, 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 um, uh, you know, wedge really that was between the two parties. And so where does this translate to advice to, uh, entrepreneurs as, as you asked is, you know, have some humility about going into the process and recognize that just because it's a cannabis business doesn't mean that the rules of business don't apply. And I see a lot of companies and founders try to be over uh, overly creative in trying to put structures together and wanting to do like funky, you know, sort of debt structures instead of raising equity and all this kind of stuff where really it's really about building a, a great business for the long term. And if you have a plan and a team in place and the resources to do that, it it should it shouldn't matter that it's cannabis. It should matter that it's a it's a great organization that happens to be able to benefit from cannabis legalization in this new economy that's developing. So I think it's just having that perspective and and when you know reaching out to investors, understand that, you know, it's not about convincing them that your view of the world is right. It's about understanding what their view of the world is and helping them understand why your business fits that. Right. So we get a lot of, um, one of the things that, like I said, is a big turnoff is is entrepreneurs who get very, uh, defensive, um, you know, Oh, well, you know, you just don't understand it, or this is cannabis. You don't get it. Um, well, most investors in the space have, you know, some, a lot of experience and certainly, when you're talking about family offices earlier and there's a you know most of the families that I've worked with over the years have generated their wealth through entrepreneurship so you've got to give them some benefit of of having some rationale for for exploring the the opportunities in the ways that they do. So and everything's a negotiation. So right from the beginning you're you know starting to develop a relationship and and building rapport and understanding how to interact with those people through the process. It can be a very long process uh, for finding, you know, fund investors like ourselves, or it could be a very quick process if we're with angel investors. If you've got the right, you know, people that are looking for the opportunity that you're presenting.
0: Let's jump into one of your investments, Revolutionary Clinics. Can you talk about that? What attracted you to them, and what they do?
1: Yeah, so um, I don't know if you saw this, but Revolutionary has uh, made the Inc. Five Thousand list this year Great. as the number four fastest growing company in America. Wow. <laughs> um, yeah. They're, great. they're just very impressive operationally, very impressive in the way in which they established themselves in their community. Um, great team, great leadership. I happen to know the founder and have a personal relationship there, which was how we got involved. Um, we're not actively involved like we are with some of the other earlier companies, but as far as, um, their business model goes, we just really thought they were the gold standard in the space and would be uh, an important uh, relationship to, to you know, work with. And we couldn't be couldn't be happier about how things are going.
0: Great. Great. And is there another portfolio investment you want to talk about at all out of the... Yeah.
1: So, know? I mean, the three I talked about earlier would be the ones that, you know, were, were uh, which is Leaf, I don't know if I actually mentioned my name, but LeafWorks, Mm-hmm. um leafworks and the two uh phd founders which is mapping the genome okay. um the other company is t-check uh, t-check is a handheld spectrometer device for potency testing great story pei Chen chang the founder is an engineer by background and um he had a personal relationship with somebody that was managing their parkinson's symptoms by you know baking edibles for themselves and couldn't find the right tools in order to get the, you know, the dosages right. And, and it was a, you know, real problem. And the company's doing great. Um, it, it's the, the, the product is uh, very well recognized. You know, we, we look at that as something that is going to be just an essential tool for people that are um, developing their, their, you know, their own, uh, you know, dosages for themselves in, in home. Uh, And then the other company that I mentioned as well that's um, building this and they're developing rather the synthetic compound for CBD is uh, Nalu Bio. Mm -hmm. Very exciting company out of California, a team of biotech um, entrepreneurs that have have been there before. And the thesis there is that as with, you know, aspirin that originated from, you know, uh, naturally occurring plant-based, you know, compounds, the way to actually scale uh, and have consistent quality and produce at scale is to create it synthetically and then um, and then scale it up.
0: So, for your book, cannabis capital, you know, you wrote it, so everything you put in there, you feel like is valuable. But is there any feedback <laughs> you get that's like, hey, this was really helpful to me? This aspect where you hear that feedback consistently about any certain areas of the book.
1: You know, one of the the, the best compliments, and, and if anybody finds any, uh, you know, grammatical errors in there. I'll I'll blame the, the publisher on that. But um, <laughs> one of the uh, um, one of the most interesting compliments, and I don't think it was intended to be a compliment, when I got this feedback was that it was that the the, the advice on building a business, managing a business, and raising capital could have been applicable to any business, and it wasn't specific to cannabis. and And that's entirely the point. So. The cannabis economy is the thought leadership that was developed in there, and it it is the first place to publish on this concept. And, you know, when we get into the term sheets and, you know, structuring transactions, there's a lot of nuance for cannabis businesses there. And then the sort of case studies that run throughout the book are all cannabis-based businesses. But the whole point is that the fundamentals of business don't change. And the fundamentals of, you know, understanding how to manage a balance sheet should be applicable to any type of business. So I, so I think this individual was, you know, was looking for something that was more nuanced or specific to, to cannabis and said, oh, this could apply to any business. And that's exactly the point is those best practices exist in in the world and we should carry them forward into this sector as well.
0: Interesting. Okay. So you mentioned before, it's a real turnoff when someone's a founder is just not flexible at all, but what else can they? What else can they, can they make sure they steer clear of? Like in terms of maybe their slide deck having a problems. Like, what, what's a good slide deck look like when they come to you? And they, it's how is it clear and up digestible mm. versus one that's like, you know, just not digestible.
1: I, I think that's a great question, and and um, it is something obviously that we see day in and day out as is, is is going through decks. And so my advice to your listeners out there would be you know, the, the strategy for creating a, a slide deck should be based on putting big foundational items in place first and then moving the narrative forward from there. So, for example, I always like to, you know, see the team and the people and the backgrounds very early on in the first one or two slides because the, you know, the the credibility of the those individuals and the people that we're speaking to will inform the whole rest of the presentation, right? I also tend to see um, An overemphasis on market and market numbers and addressable market. Market, look, it, if we're having a conversation about whether or not cannabis is going to be a large marketplace, you're not having the right conversation, right? We we believe in that completely, such that we're on our second fund now to invest in that strategy. So we don't necessarily need to be convinced of the you know the 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 big numbers multiplied by other big numbers. What we really want to see is is there a thoughtful go to market strategy that identifies clearly what the channels to market are and how to go manage those channels to market successfully um so you know an overemphasis on, on market and market sizing and ideas is generally a you know something we want to move on you know quickly past quickly and you know i would say that if if you can't explain your business in you know 20 minutes um, you, you you probably have, don't have a clear understanding of your business, right? So we, we sometimes get into these presentations that an hour, an hour and a half later, people are saying, Oh, well, you know, I haven't told you about this yet, or I haven't told you about that yet. And, and that's just that, that to me is, is indicative of, um, you know, we just want to do everything and do everything great. And we're going to do a million different things at once. And, we really just want to see a lot more focus and and, and discipline around the you know the, the the hypothesis for the business.
0: What trend in the cannabis space do you feel like is underappreciated, but you believe is going to be huge in the next three or five years?
1: Well, it's it's healthcare for sure. So for us, um, and and our focus is, you know, there dig in are there.
0: dig in there. Tell yeah. us why.
1: So, so a, f- a, few, a few things. One, you know, we're only just at the front end of the research and discovery that's happening now around getting access to this plant legally. And it's really exciting what is being developed. And, and look, nobody, nobody's debating whether or not, um, you know, cannabis is good for treating the symptoms of Parkinson's. Um, you know, we had the FDA approve Epidiolex, which had a huge, you know, seven plus billion dollar exit. Uh, which is for uh, treating epilepsy um you know and, and people have known for generations that cannabis can be applicable to you know to, for for sleep aid or for inflammation or for anxiety or depression and um you know glaucoma and you know all these and so the application that the plant can have for all these different you know pain management and You know, different um, uh, symptoms and and underlying morbidities is, is, to my mind, we're just scratching the surface on that and barely started that cycle. You know, it's and we also see. I think the FDA is going to be more malleable, and the government institutions are going to be more malleable than ever um, going forward. I mean, we're seeing government now trying to move at the pace of business as opposed to the pace of policy. And I think that will open up for um, a lot more uh, rapid, comparatively um, processes to get uh, FDA approvals and things like that, which we think are necessary. And you know, we believe more regulation is required. Um, we don't think that the objective should be to have zero regulation. We think the objective should be to have sensible regulation that can, you know help bring the highest quality products to the market. And so, you know, so, so with that, we definitely see this, this, you know, transformation on the healthcare side. It's, it's difficult, it's difficult to find these things out, but we, we estimate there's somewhere around 40 or 50 applications or in process to the FDA applications being developed for, for new uh, therapies on, based on cannabis. And to our estimation, that should be more like four to 500 uh, at a minimum at this stage. So we think that's just wide open space.
0: There's a lot of investors, entrepreneurs, and others moving from the West Coast to Texas and Florida. You mentioned mm-hmm. you're in West Palm Beach. Are you a native there or did you really relocate from somewhere else?
1: Yeah, so I've, uh, I'm a bit of a nomad. Uh, I was from Canada originally, um, Calgary, Alberta that's where I was born. Mm-hmm. Um, first moved to Michigan in the U S uh, then did a dozen or so years in Manhattan. Uh, and then just spent the last 10 years in, in Florida. And we're actually moving our headquarters to Raleigh, North Carolina, uh, in okay. the coming months as well. Okay. And so for us, it's less about being in a, you know, legal state, right? So we're not, I mean, recreational use is, is not you know, really something that, that is driving our investment activity. So, you know, we're looking for where are the the centers of, you know, highly scientific innovation going to be happening. And we don't think that, you know, the, the individual state regulations, you know, play into that that much. We invest all over the country. Most of our companies are on the West coast now. Um, but yes, there is a huge migration right now to some of these areas. Um, and, uh, You know, we see certainly in the South Florida area, the Miami region up to uh, West Palm, where we will continue to have uh, a presence there. Um, There's a lot of of, uh, uptick in venture activity, which is just exciting for everyone.
0: Ross, I want to turn to some personal development questions. Is there a book that's had a big impact on your life or way of thinking that you'd like to share?
1: Yeah, a lot. I'm a voracious reader, so there's there's a there's a lot of them. I actually just wrote a blog article on the five books that I recommend um, for entrepreneurs to read and then reread. So there's a lot of great books, um, business books, obviously, uh, and self development books. And one of the things that occurred to me was after you know decades of experience. Um, you know, the context can take on new meaning and depth and color, and those are really, really great, great books. So for example, the book, um, the hard thing about hard things by, um, Horowitz. So that book, uh, took on a real, a a much more powerful narrative for me after I had gone through some cycles of being on boards and managing boards and having boards For example, right at the board level, senior, you know, C-suite level. Um, Also, one of my all-time favorites is uh, Good to Great, which is a lot of people's all-time favorite. But some of the concepts in that um, really became applicable only in the last, you know, few years of my career versus when I first was exposed to, to, to that book. Um, and on the personal development side, uh, I'm, I've, I'm a really big fan of Tim Ferriss. Um, so I like, uh, tools of Titans and, um, uh, you know, his anthologies are really, really terrific. I, I love his expression that success leaves clues. So, um, I'm always going back and just rereading even just short anecdotes, um, that he's collected from other, you know, successful people. And one of the, the, the personal development people that, um, I, I didn't really acknowledge to later in my career, I just sort of ignored was Tony Robbins and, um, Awaken the Giant Within, uh, was actually a really transformative book for me when I visited it, um, you know, a few years ago in, in, in the later stages of my career.
0: What is your favorite unhealthy comfort food?
1: (laughs) 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 So, uh, I love food, (laughs) love to eat. Um, and I would say, uh, I am, I probably uh, eat more high end steak than any normal person should, so I enjoy a lot of the good steakhouses. But to take that even a step further, I'd say my, you know, my um favorite meal of all time would probably be beef Wellington. Um, so how can you get anything more? Delicious than uh you know steak wrapped in pastry.
0: Great. Well, Ross, as we close, how can listeners find out more about Bonaventure Equity and the work you're doing and connect online with you?
1: Great. Well, thanks very much, Matt. This was great. Um, the we anybody can find us at uh bvequity.com, B is in boy, v Victor equity.com. Uh and uh we also have the cannabis capital podcast, which is cannabiscapitalpodcast.com. The book Cannabis Capital is available on Amazon and wherever fine books are sold. And my personal blog and, and uh, website is vc.com.
0: Ross, well, thanks so much for coming on. Really appreciate it. And good luck with all your investments in 2021 and beyond.
1: Great. We'd love to come back and uh, give you some updates as uh, we think it's going to be an exciting few years ahead.
0: If you enjoyed the show today, please consider leaving us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or whatever app you might be using to listen to the show. Every five-star review helps us to bring the best guest to you. Learn more at cannainsider.com forward slash iTunes. What are the five disruptive trends that will impact the cannabis industry in the next five years? Find out with your free report at cannainsider.com forward slash trends. Have a suggestion for an awesome guest on Canna Insider? Simply send us an email at feedback at cannainsider.com. We'd love to hear from you. Please do not take any information from Canna Insider or its guests as medical advice. Contact your licensed physician before taking cannabis or using it for medical treatments. Promotional consideration may be provided by select guests, advertisers, or companies featured in Canna Insider. Lastly, the host or guests on Cana Insider may or may not invest in the company's entrepreneurs profiled on the show. Please consult your licensed financial advisor before making any investment decisions. Final disclosure to see if you're still paying attention. This little whistle jingle that you're listening to will get stuck in your head for the rest of the day. <laughs> Thanks for listening and look for another Cana Insider episode soon. Take care. Bye-bye.